Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So to bring you behind the curtain a little bit, uh, I was driving to Athens on Saturday afternoon uh, and getting ready to go do our Kroger kickoff. That was going to be our first show of the day to lead into G-Day. And I sort of thought, because right as I was kind of pulling in the parking lot, the the we became aware of the fact that Branson Robinson, the running back, wasn't going to play. Smile Mana wasn't going to play. And I sort of thought that was going to be the pregame story. So as we're getting ready to go on the air, we're kind of building your show around the idea of, well, I guess you better expect Georgia to throw the ball a lot more because Branson Robinson's not going to be here, not going to be participating. And so that kind of changes uh, a little bit of the complexion of the game. Georgia won fewer, healthier running back we thought it was going to have. And so you're kind of building the the pregame show around that. Then lo and behold, boom. Just as we're getting ready to go on the air, you find out, no, there's reports out there that uh, Bear Alexander, the Georgia defensive tackle, is going to transfer. Transfer portal window obviously opened on Saturday, April 15th. It'll run through April 30th. And then you find out, no, here's this you know fan favorite, popular recruit, former popular recruit, a guy who had a couple of sacks in the national championship game, a guy who had some expectations for him here this year in a Georgia uniform. You find out that he's transferring. I don't mind telling you. That really bummed me out. You know, we'll get into kind of more of the specifics of the, of the situation, but what kind of bummed me out initially is it's this beautiful day in Athens, a chance to see our first look at the 2023 team, and you've got, you know, this this you know news kind of falling out of the sky. And I thought there was a little bit of a fear that the Bear Alexander transfer news might end up marring a day that we've been looking forward to for quite some time. G-Day, the conclusion of spring practice, a time for us to all get back together. Some of you could do your tailgate stuff. You kind of go out to downtown after the game's over with. It's sort of a chance to be back in Athens for those of us who don't live there. A chance to kind of do something that feels like Georgia football. Uh, not until the fall again when we get a chance to do that. And, you know, we're going to do that on Saturday. And you have the, the Bear Alexander news. Now, here's what I'm happy to report. That my initial fear about all this, that, oh, gosh, the Bear Alexander news, this is going to mar G-Day. If you were there, did that happen? I would say it didn't. If you're watching on TV and kind of following this stuff on social media, uh, would you say that the Bear Alexander news ended up kind of overshadowing G-Day? I think you'd probably join me in saying that it did not, that the Alexander news is substantial and it certainly generates a lot of opinions and we'll get there, uh, you better believe, here in a moment. But overall, that whatever the Alexander thing was, I don't think it ended up being a bigger deal than the fun of watching this 2023 team compete on the field, bringing to the conclusion what seemed to be a great and spirited competitive series of practices for Georgia over the course of the last few weeks and you know we play a lot of Kirby Smart audio clips and things like that here on this show the one I'm about to play for you I don't want you to miss because I think the way that Kirby Smart describes his feeling of where he is post-spring this ought to be the mood of every Georgia fan there as well and so if you're tempted to want to kind of get wrapped up in the Alexander thing or wrapped up in something else uh, I think that Kirby Smart set the perfect tone this was the very beginning of his post-game press conference on Saturday. Obviously, today and over the course of the next few days, we'll break down the specifics of what G-Day was, what maybe we learned, getting a chance to see all of this with our own eyes. But for now, nothing is more important than Kirby Smart being asked, hey, after 15 practices or however many it was, after seeing this team go out and participate in this spring game that the entire you know world got to watch on ESPN and everything else, how you feeling about your team here? You're back-to-back national champions. You got a chance to go for three and 23. Kirby, 
post-G-Day, post-spring practice, how are you feeling about your team? And Smart's words have a lot of extra poignance in light of the fact that uh, Bear Alexander's packing his bags for somewhere else. This is Kirby Smart, strong words, post-spring practice on Saturday. I'm excited. Uh, I've always said, you know, we're built to sustain here, and that's my, my motto. We're not trying to be a one-hit wonder. We want to put a really good football team out there each year, and uh, we're well on our way to doing that this time. We've probably got the most cohesive unit we've had in terms of the guys love being with each other. Um, they like practicing hard. I mean, we had 14 of the 15 days. I really thought we had good practices, and, and that includes today. And I was really pleased with, with their work ethic. So, like, they like practicing. They like football. When, when people come to your practice and they've been to seven other schools and they say, man, y'all get after it. Man, your guys practice hard. Man, your guys buy in and have fun. It makes me feel better that our, our kids uh, enjoy it. So listen, I think it's almost worth rewinding that back and just listening to that again if you wanted to because Kirby Smart gives you so much there that if you're a Georgia fan, you ought to sink your teeth into. Smart says, listen, I'm excited about my football team right now. And it kind of goes into all the uh, reasons why. He talks about the fact that he believes that Georgia's built to sustain. What that means is, is that not only is Georgia potentially able to withstand whatever competition comes on the field right now, we also know that college football is in the midst of a pretty significant series of changes. And what Kirby Smart says, we're built to sustain. We don't have plans on being a one-hit wonder. What Smart is also saying there is, we think we're built to withstand all of the change that's happening around us. The way in which NIL and Transfer Portal are impacting the sport. The way in which an expanded playoff is going to impact the sport. The way in which SEC expansion is going to impact the sport. The way in which new SEC scheduling models to kind of make up for two new teams coming to this league. The way that's going to impact the way in which college football is played. Kirby Smart says, we think we're able to handle all of that. And while change can make some people nervous, it doesn't make Smart nervous. He says, right now I'm excited about all of this. And for a program that just won two national championships, you could certainly listen in on Kirby Smart right there and think, hey, he actually may think the best is still yet to come, that Georgia can go for three and 23 and then do whatever comes after that. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, you ought to take a, a page from that. But specifically, there's this, especially in light of losing a player who kind of put his own name out there and, uh, you know, in, in a way that not every Georgia fan liked on Saturday. Smart says, hey, listen, this is the most cohesive unit we've had. Now, last year, he told you that the level of connection that team had was better than anything he'd ever seen before and obviously a big reason why they won the national championship. And he's also beginning now 2023 after some spring practice saying, man, I love how cohesive our team is. Big fancy word, but just the idea that they're connected, that they're working well together, that everybody seems to be kind of getting along well together. Smart saying this team is cohesive in light of a pretty high, high profile transfer, a guy raising his hand up saying, hey, I want to go somewhere else. Smart seems to be saying the guys who are still here, man, they're connected. They're into this. And they love practicing. They, they, they love their work ethic. You've got all that from Kirby Smart there. If you're a Georgia fan, I think you've got to really, really like that, that, that the overall culture around this Georgia team, even with the transfer portal open, even with some guys looking around, even with some guys being tampered with over the course of the last couple of weeks, hey, come here, we'll give you some money. Come here and uh, you can have a bigger spotlight on you. Come here and you can get some glory that you were never going to get at Georgia because you're blended in to another talented roster. We, we desperately need you, so you'll get a lot more credit for what you do here than you are at Georgia, whatever negative pitch against the dogs that you know, you know, opposing programs have been given. In light of all that, Smart says, I'm as excited as ever. We're as built to sustain as ever. We're as cohesive as ever. We're working just as hard as ever. And the guys who are still here are as into this as they've ever been. 
if you're a Georgia fan, I don't know how you couldn't love that. Obviously, I think that you probably do. But then specifically on the idea of Bear Alexander, and I promise after this we'll do uh, G-Day both today and for the next several days that we saw on the field, Smart was also asked you know, directly about this. Transfer portal window opens. We're in a day and age in which that's just kind of a part of college football. Smart doesn't mention Alexander by name here, even though he was asked about it uh, from our buddy Mike Griffith. Uh, but he does acknowledge the reality of the moment that Bear Alexander in this particular case seems to be just simply leveraging the the the, the system that, that's in place to benefit players right now. And Smart sort of seems to be fine with it. Let me let you hear Kirby Smart on that topic from Saturday. Yeah, uh, you know, this that's the, the way of the world. It's, it's who, who handles it and manages it best. And um, it's basically the new climate we're in. So the uh, window will open up. Um, you know, all across the country, there'll be guys going in and, and looking for greener pastures. And uh, that's ultimately the, the, the climate that we have created. And, you know, it's more power to them. I, we've got a lot of guys who've benefited from the portal. And, you know, I hope we benefit from the portal. We had a couple guys out there today that came by way of the portal that made some really good plays. So uh, it's, it's the climate that we're in, and uh, we'll do the best we can to capitalize on it. But I'm very pleased with what we've got on our team and our roster. Um, and it's not a way that we're going to build a team by any means. By the way, nice look at the uh, G-Day dog walk on video. For those of you watching on video, great to see Brock Bowers walking that rope line there and uh, high-fiving so many Georgia fans. But Smart says, hey, we're not going to build our team through the transport portal, but we are going to use it, and we're going to acknowledge that sometimes players are going to leave our program there as well. So Smart, very realistic about what, what, what the cost of doing business in college football is here in 2023, and I think that his words there are very, very measured and very, very wise. Now, when it comes to the Alexander situation and the college football system that 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 allows all of this to take place, I think if you're a fan, you probably have every right to feel however you want to. And we've heard from some people who are like, hey, good for Bear, go get your money, if that's indeed what this is, a transfer to leverage NIL opportunities. We have some reason to believe that it might be. You know, If that's what this is about, then there's some fans who are going to say, hey, go out there and get what yours is. There are going to be some people who say, I hate all of this. I, this is too much change too soon for a sport that I've loved for the entirety of my life and a sport that's thrived over the course of a century. And there are some people who are kind of, you know, bothered by some of, you know, that. I think you have a right to sort of, you know, kind of feel that way as well. I mean, listen, here's what I'll tell you. You know, the other day when uh, A.D. AD Mitchell announced his transfer to Texas, we talked about that on the show, you know, weren't, weren't thrilled about losing Mitchell either, but we felt like that Mitchell had been a big part of a national championship story for Georgia in 2021. And from that standpoint, we said Mitchell, as he leaves and goes out the door to us, he was a DGD, a damn good dog. And we kind of define that as someone who, you know, worked to leave Georgia better than he found it. I don't mind telling you that I sort of view the Bear Alexander situation a little bit differently. And so, you know, I am going to take a little bit more of a negative appraisal of Alexander in this situation. And, and to me, the difference between A.D. Mitchell's transfer and Bear Alexander's transfer is the difference between a, a maker and a taker. I feel like what A.D. Mitchell did was help make Georgia better than he found it by having a huge contribution in that win against Alabama, a touchdown to give Georgia the lead that ultimately resulted in that victory against Alabama and Georgia's first national championship in more than 40 years. Now, Alexander himself is also a part of a national championship team there as well. But when you look at the last 12 months for Bayer in a Georgia uniform, it's fairly obvious that he got a lot more from Georgia development and training he got a lot more from Georgia than he ever gave to it and that's just a fact 
And so now he goes to a place, and the internet would say it might be USC, so let's just use that as a hypothetical for instance. He goes to a place like that, benefiting from the training that he got from Georgia over the course of the last 12 months, and if Lincoln Riley and USC were capable of providing that to him, they already would have. When's the last time you saw Lincoln Riley put any kind of top-flight defensive player into the NFL? The next one would be the first one, I believe. The same thing is true for the Pac-12 there as well. That's an entire league, frankly, an entire portion of the country that doesn't do much by way of playing defense, and if that is indeed where Bear Alexander is going, then it's one of those things where he might eventually regret that decision. And in this current world in which we live in, noticing all of this is going to be fair game. Who comes to Georgia? Guys like Jalen Carter is going to be likely drafting the top five, the top ten next Thursday. Three first-round defensive uh, linemen last year. Track record for success. And for guys that either don't go to UGA or come to UGA and don't stick it out because it gets too tough or whatever the ultimate scenario is, going somewhere else and they don't thrive quite as well there, team success, individual success, if they don't thrive quite as well there as they did at UGA, it's going to be fair to notice that in the future there as well. That college football is starting to function a little bit more like a business and when things are like a business that means it's not personal it's just business and noticing who's doing business the best is fair game in all of this and no one's doing business better right now than UGA is but that cost of doing business at a place like Georgia is not going to be for everyone apparently it wasn't for Bear Alexander but dogs don't seem to be sweating his departure whatsoever still going to be preseason number one still going to be the prohibitive favorite when the national championship once again and by the time you get to February uh, maybe no one remembers any of this ever happening so dogs still on top very successful g-day transfer portal open but Kirby Smart seems content to handle whatever's coming next my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And we're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We'll get things going in the morning. Earlier than that, though, on our Dog Nation homepage, our uh, Dog Nation app. So thankful that thousands of you join us there each and every day. Really a very successful rollout of our newest video platform. We're thrilled to have you there as a part of that. And our extra content, our first and 15, is just our way of saying thank you for that. A unique platform we think we have here at Dog Nation to be able to broadcast the show right there on our own side and on our own app. So we're very thankful to all of you for making that such a big deal around here for all of us. And a big thanks to our friends that watch us on, uh, or should say listen to us on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref, our podcast, the Apple Player, the Spotify, you know, whatever podcast platform you choose to use. We just try to make the show as available as possible in as many different ways as possible. And we're glad you've at least found one that works for you, whichever that one might end up being. We're also thankful to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia who make today's show possible there as well. Energy efficient windows and doors. Listen, that matters especially this time of year when sometimes you get that sort of rainy stormy weather wind kind of picks up uh bugs you know kind of all around listen properly sealed windows and doors keep the outside on the outside where it's supposed to be and during the spring time of year when you've got that air conditioning unit kind of cranked up on the inside and that is expensive and you know that you want to keep that ac kind of inside the house and keeping you cool and comfortable all spring long uh that is what our uh you know great energy efficient windows and doors can do for you there as well keeping the inside where it's supposed to be nice cool and comfortable keeping the outside where it's supposed to be all that you know sort of you know whatever's going on outside keeping it out there where it's supposed to be plus better curb appeal which can improve your resale value when you're ready to do that it's just one of the great ways that great homeowners take care of their home with pella windows and doors and survey 
survey after survey right here in our market area, Palo Endo and Door of Georgia has been viewed and recognized as the brand leader over and over. And when you have one, an experience with a Palo expert, you'll be able to understand why. It's no pressure conversation and consultation. It's simply an explanation, if you will, of what makes the Pella product superior, the entire product line that you can choose for yourself, which option fits you, uh, installation options there as well, financing options if you're in need of that. And how about some special savings too? Between now and May 22nd, you can get 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for 24 months. So a lot of really good savings opportunities out there as well. So here's what I want you to do. Stop by and see them in Duluth in their Experience Center or find them online at PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call 678-638-1429. 678-638-1429. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. We're going to get a chance to talk to John Stinchcomb here in a moment. You know John will have plenty to say about G-Day from Saturday and we'll look forward to getting all of his thoughts. Prior to that, I want to have some of my own GD thoughts here for a moment there too let's go around the doghouse here for a moment and obviously going into the game the thing that we were most curious about I think for most of us anyway was how the quarterback competition was going to look and I think it was fairly clear and fairly decisive that Carson Beck to me right now has the look of Georgia's starting quarterback in 2023 I really haven't talked to a Georgia fan yet that wouldn't join me in saying that based on their own observations there from Saturday I thought it was a very good day for Carson Beck I thought he one of our commenters said earlier just sort of looked comfortable in all of this and that was a really good word to use with that and not only that I thought it was also pretty instructive that Georgia was comfortable letting this be on display you know we were kind of wondering you know how much would Georgia be willing to allow in terms of where things stood would 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 Georgia orchestrate a quarterback competition and make it seem like it was really close would they be okay demonstrating some separation and the best that I could tell as Carson I think demonstrated himself to be kind of separate and above the other two quarterbacks right now at least in terms of his readiness to play for September of 2023 Georgia seemed okay putting that on display on Saturday I think that kind of tells you some stuff there too but ultimately the evaluation of what's what and who actually is going to be the starting quarterback smart himself didn't exactly reveal a ton of that on Saturday kind of reserving the right to sort of share some of his opinion on this after he's had more chance to break down the film this is though what Kirby Smart said about his quarterbacks after the game on Saturday here's Kirby on that subject post G-Day it's hard because I've got to go back and watch the tape as always um, I thought both of them had good composure good pocket presence I thought Brock used his legs uh, several times to break out of there and take off running uh, Brock unfortunately had some some guys to drop the ball on him I thought balls were really well thrown and should have caught um, and, and he did a nice job in the pocket of making those throws um, and then Gunner did some really good things. I, I mean, I, I was really pleased with all three quarterbacks, and what you saw today was, you know, similar to what we've seen really all spring. Those, the, we have three good quarterbacks who can make the throws and, uh, and do a really good job. I was pleased with those guys. So let me kind of say something in line of what Kirby Smart says right there. First of all, when he talks about this, is kind of what we've seen during the spring. What that would lead you to believe is, is that you know Carson Beck has also maybe been ahead there. If he was ahead on Saturday, and that's what spring practice also looked like. Then, then maybe that's been the story all spring long. We have reason to believe that that might be true. But as I say, hey, Carson Beck to me, I've seen enough to say I believe that Carson's going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia on uh, September 2023 and in, in this particular season. That's not the same thing as saying that I in any way thought that Brock Vandergrift faltered or I thought that Gunnar Stockton faltered. Frankly, I didn't see anything I disliked from either of those two guys. And I know there was some chatter online about you know them maybe 
for the negative, maybe in comparison to Carson Beck, but I think that's the wrong way of looking at all of this. You know, right now, Gunnar Stockton's just very young. And when I look at Gunnar Stockton, what I say is, ooh, what would Stockton look like with another year of experience under his belt? Could this be a guy that one day is a little bit where Carson Beck is right now? A guy that you would feel very comfortable as your starting quarterback at UGA? You better believe that's true. And I think that if Dylan Riola comes to Georgia as a five-star in the class of 2024 in some future Georgia quarterback competition, I believe based on what I saw from Gunnar Stockton on Saturday in moments and in flashes and based on some of the stuff we've heard about Gunnar there as well, I think that Gunner might be more than capable of holding his own in some future competition that might include a five-star like Dylan Riola. I like a lot about what I saw from Gunner Stockton on Saturday, and that echoes some of the stuff that we've heard about Gunner over the course of the last few months there as well. And then similarly, when it comes to my evaluation of Brock Vandegrift, you know, what I looked at from Vandegrift on Saturday, once I was fairly comfortable in assuming that Carson Beck was going to be Georgia's starting quarterback, I then started looking at Brock Vandegrift a little bit differently. I, I then looked at him from the standpoint of, well, what if he was Georgia's backup this year? And what if Carson had an ankle or an oblique or whatever it is that keeps quarterbacks out of games? You know, what if, what if Georgia had to put Brock Vandegrift into a game? Does Brock have the kind of skill set that would make me feel comfortable that Georgia could build a game plan around exploiting that? His athleticism, we'll hear more from him on that in a moment. Um, you know, his his ability to frankly throw the ball pretty well. You know, he had some drops on Saturday, as Kirby Smart acknowledged. Could Georgia build something around Brock Vandergriff if it, if it had to? I think, I think, I think, yeah, the answer to that question to me seems to be yes. What I came away thinking on Saturday is is that not only does Georgia have, I think, a clear, soon-to-be starting quarterback in Carson Beck, I think they have a potentially capable backup in Brock Vandegrift and also Gunnar Stockton there as well. The quarterback depth at Georgia, to me, seems pretty solid, even if the, the, the competition to be the starter also seems pretty clear and cut and dry. It'll be Carson Beck, barring injury, but Georgia could also be in good hands with its backup situation with both Brock and Gunnar, and either one of these guys could be a future starting quarterback you know, moving on to 2024 or whenever else you want to look into in the future. And both those guys could benefit from more experience as a part of the program. But for now, it's really Beck who has that experience. This is his fourth year being at UGA. Uh, he has played a decent amount last season. He has been around this Georgia program, even being around, you know, buying Bobo some, you know, uh, last year because Bobo was on staff. And all of this, I think, has sort of led to a level of seasoning for Beck as a player that he simply wouldn't have if he was younger. And I think a lot of that has sort of produced a, a level of confidence in him that can be contagious for the rest of this Georgia offense. In fact, after the game on Saturday, Carson talked about some of that maturation and the way that all of a sudden now I think he feels pretty poised and pretty in control of the situation when he's running the Georgia offense. This is uh, Carson Beck after the game on Saturday. I think confidence builds is, you know, like you said, like with reps and compared from my freshman year to now, my confidence has grown exponentially and I only see it, you know, growing more. So strong stuff there from Carson Beck talking about his confidence. And yet from Brock Vandegrift's standpoint, it doesn't seem like he's really lacking in confidence either. I think that Brock left G-Day knowing that he had himself some some pretty good moments, and he's and he's comfortable leaving all of this in the coach's hands moving forward. Uh, here is Brock Vandegrift there as well. Coach Bobo, he punched me on the arm on the way over here on the bus. Like, dude, let's go, man. And uh, <laughs> it's just part of it. I, I told him, I was like, Coach, I probably had four bites of food from the time I woke up this morning to now. And uh, the first drive, my heart was throbbing just 
I just, I guess that shows how much I love it. And uh, just being able to come out here in front of the fan base and being able to move chains with my team was uh, awesome. And I finally settled in after about the first drive or two. But like, like I said, that was probably the most reps I've ever had in Sanford. So uh, it was good to get that under my belt. Brock, do you feel like you kept the competition open today? Feel like you kept the quarterback competition open today with the way you played. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure how they're going to see it, but uh, I just. I believe I played my best, and at the end of the day, that's all you can do. So to me, Brock Vandegrift right there sounds like a quarterback who's a little younger than what Carson Beck is, and that's exactly what Brock Vandegrift is. So it could be that Georgia has a clear starter in Carson Beck. It could be that it still has two very intriguing prospects underneath him in Brock Vandegrift and uh, Gunnar Stockton. And it could be that the Georgia quarterback situation is returning to a sense of normalcy after what has been a weird series of years for quarterback because of pandemic and opt-outs and injuries and uh, the emergence of a former walk-on that no one would have predicted leading Georgia to the success that it did. Things are now kind of returning to a little bit more of a sense of normalcy and the progression from quarterback to quarterback year over year over year might become a little bit more sensible and frankly a little easier to predict. But ultimately the overall story for quarterback at Georgia on Saturday was I believe a positive one. I think it's clear who your starter is likely to be that looks like Carson Beck although Smart did not himself fully state that on Saturday and guys like Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton also had their moments when they did well and you're led to believe with more experience with more training they could provide even more of those moments in the future so quarterback was the big story going into Saturday and ultimately what we saw was actually pretty entertaining and pretty revealing for what the future of Carson Beck could be in a Georgia uniform as soon as this fall that is around the doghouse here on dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia today and those are my thoughts on the georgia quarterback situation how did a former georgia all-american view this though let's find out more on that right now as we welcome in john stinchcomb here to our program today from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider John, there's a lot we want to talk to you about, but obviously going into Saturday, the uh, big chatter we knew was going to be the quarterback situation when it has been a competition. Uh, we saw Carson back. We saw Brock Vanderbilt. We saw Gunnar Stockton. What was your ultimate takeaway from what you saw from that trio here on Saturday? That competition is a good thing. I thought all all three of the quarterbacks uh, looked good. Uh, obviously, I, at this point, it seems to be Carson Beck's to lose. And he performed really, really well uh, here in spring game. What what is that? What what metric can you really uh, acquire from from just that situation? But uh, I thought all all three of the quarterbacks did well, and Carson certainly put his stamp on uh, giving fans and coaches another reason to believe that he's the next man up. Yeah, I'm going to get deep in the weeds on this with you here for a second because the phrase you used a moment ago, this has been Carson Beck's quarterback competition to lose, that's one of those things I feel like we've said a few times this uh, spring. I know Jake Fromm used that exact phrase a couple of weeks ago here on this show. And I feel like on Saturday it kind of got taken to the next level. It's almost like if you watch like election night coverage or whatever else with like blah, blah percent of the precincts reporting. I feel like I've almost seen enough now to say, well, Carson Beck – has, for all intents and purposes, won this competition. Smart's not going to acknowledge that yet, but Georgia seemed pretty comfortable showing Carson as the leader on Saturday. He played all of the red team snaps in the first half. That's kind of the thing that a starting quarterback might do. Uh, they were sort of okay with Beck having the better numbers. And, you know, they, you know, they put this on display and seemed to be okay with Beck appearing to be ahead of the other two. To me, I've sort of seen enough to call this race. John, have you seen enough to do that? 
No, I, I okay. think it's an opportunity that Beck has earned. I do think that uh, he he is showing that he's the lead horse in the race, but I don't think the race is over. I think uh, when you get to training camp, that obviously spring spring what happened in spring matters, and you're starting to plan for you know the, the season and who you can rely on. And Carson has done what he's needed to up to this point for coaches to feel confident that that he'll be ready now i don't think that it's a a closed book in that you still have to get through training camp and um i would say even through the season you've got to perform and and continue to prove yourself i think if uh, if nothing else coach smart has shown that it's always an ongoing battle across the board that uh what you do in most recently matters and the quarterback position is no different. I think back to when Stetson first earned his opportunity to prove the player that he was, that um, it was in the middle of the season. And um, I, I think the same holds true for, for Gunner and Vandergriff in that uh, you can't give up. It's not like, well, it, Carson played well in the spring game. I guess that, uh, that the case is closed and there's no opportunity for me. I think um, – Georgia has shown a propensity to play the hot hand, and if, if you're not performing well and somebody's practicing well, they'll give them that opportunity. I think that's really well said and very, very interesting. Let me shift gears to the other big story from Saturday. That was the news that we learned that Bear Alexander was in the transfer portal. You know, Obviously, entering the portal you know, provides the opportunity to still return to UGA. We don't seem to think that's what's going to happen here, though. looks like Alexander's looking elsewhere. Been some chatter about USC. I guess Texas may be involved in this, too. But a lot of that speculation, but it seems to be kind of well-placed speculation here for a moment. And, John, you know, one of the things I try to do on our show is, you know, I try to put my biases out there for everybody to see, right? You know, you can know my bias and that you can evaluate my opinions on the basis of my biases. Everyone knows I'm a Georgia fan. This is sort of a pro-Georgia show. I don't make any kind of apologies for that necessarily. And then beyond that, I'm also someone who just really wants to protect the institution of college football. I think that college football is a very good thing. And too much change too soon makes me a little nervous because I think it has the potential to threaten the sport that, you know, certainly provided you an incredible life or at least a springboard to an incredible life and also provided me incredible entertainment over the course of years so from that standpoint when a guy like bear alexander who you know is we thought kind of an up-and-coming player in the georgia roster announcing on the day of g-day that he's in the transfer portal we're led to believe maybe some sort of substantial nil deal could be awaiting him if he transfers somewhere else I'm not going to pretend that I don't like that, John. And listen, I think that Georgia deserves a lot of credit for not letting this news overshadow G-Day. This is still a very entertaining football game, and this is still a very terrific football team, going to be the preseason number one with or without Bear Alexander. But the sport of college football, I think, comes across not looking so great in a situation like this. And, you know, this is what the portal is, but... I don't know, John. Like, I, like I'm not going to smile and put on a happy face, but a situation that I just don't love, and I don't love this. So, it's your opinion that this particular part of the show matters. So, after my little soliloquy there, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, I, I don't love it, but we don't we don't have to, nor do we get to. Uh, you know, it's it's the same situation when you look at Ra Ra and, and Dominic when they came to town. That's great for us, right. but you know, the programs that they're leaving, they're going, man, that was a up-and-comer. Same thing with A.D. Mitchell. Now, wide receiver is a little different for us because it seems like uh, we're pretty well stocked in that position group, but it is uh, 
it, it's painful when you lose a guy of Bear Alexander's caliber. I think he's the next up-and-coming interior defensive lineman that's a real factor. And when you see him walk out as a Georgia fan, uh, it's got some sting bite to it. And uh, it's part of the, the reality is it's part of the college football landscape today. I don't like it. Uh, but my opinion was not requested when they started <laughs> looking at transfer portals and NIL deals. And so um, I think I think what's noteworthy here is that there is a Georgia way, and, and the Georgia way is we're going to put team first. We're not going to highlight individuals. We're not going to kowtow to uh, specific stats that folks might be chasing uh, or NIL deals. I think we've done a great job of, of being competitive uh, with some of the elites in, in the NIL game, but there are still going to be programs that are willing and able to entice players away from major programs, Georgia included, by offering richer NIL deals. And uh, it that used to not be a factor. It used to be, you know, can I develop as a player? Do you have good facilities? Do I fit in in the locker room culture? Those are still factors, but there is a big factor that's been added to the equation that coaches, teams have minimal control over, and that's NIL money. So let me go down a row with you just for a second, and I don't want to take this too far, but I am curious of your opinion on this. So let's say that you're a little bit more of a, I guess, a, you know, so pro, sort of pro-modern thinker than what I just said there a moment ago. The argument somebody would make back to me based on my dissatisfaction with a guy like this leveraging transfer portal for an nil deal on the day of the georgia spring game the conclusion of georgia spring practice what that person might come back and say is okay well if you want to remove this from college football a guy leveraging these things to his benefit then you're going to have to collectively bargain with these players and you're going to have to pay them more money for that contractual status which means making them employees and you know kind of on you know down the road you go and listen John, I'm sort of getting the sense that, you know, traditionalists and things like that are starting to get beat down on this, including a lot of coaches, too, where, OK, well, that may be where all this is heading. And, yeah, you know, you know, maybe that's the if you want more roster stability, if you want less portal chaos, and I would say Alexander doing that, you know, uh, on the day of G-Day is a little too chaotic for me, that if you want to remove that portal chaos from college football, then you got to have employee status. You got to have collective bargaining. You got to have money coming from the, the the tv contracts and things like that basically paid as employees the same way you would have been when you were you know paid by the new orleans saints in the nfl and john that's one of those things where like even if that's where this is going and i believe it probably is to a certain extent i still say you know be careful what you wish for like how many minor league baseball players are happy with the, with the life they have right now those are future major leaguers who you know are employees now too and i'm not really quite so sure that a lot of them are loving it necessarily and on and on you can kind of go with examples of that where hey being a young sort of pre major league level professional is not always the most glamorous life and that may be kind of where college football is going too, and it seems to me the same people who never consider unintended consequences for anything are also sort of failing to consider the unintended consequences with this. But that, nonetheless, may be where all this is heading. Yeah, I, I think this is a case of you don't want what you think you want, and that means if you become employees, you know, the analogy of NIL deals and transfer portals is like free agency is. Uh, it's incorrect. In free agency, you're a free agent once, and you sign a contract. And there is buy-in from both sides. It also means 
that that team can cut you and that you can be without a home. It also means the way college athletics is set up right now. If you want to pay players, you know what that means. It means the removal of other sports. Guess what pays for all, almost all of the other sports, not just at Georgia, but across almost every college landscape there is, is football. Now, there's, there's exceptions to the rule. There are some sports that are self-sustaining and others that make profit. I get that. But in general, when you're talking about a, a college campus that offers 20-plus scholarship sports available at a university, a lion's share of that is paid through what is brought in from college football. And you take that away and you give it to individuals, you make them employees, and that changes the dynamic. The, the Title IX opportunities, the opportunities for uh other sports, not just female student athletes, but other sports that are less recognized and less um, supported by fan bases, those go away. And I don't think anyone wants that. I, I don't think people recognize the cost of what we're discussing right now. You want to pay players, you want to make them employees, you want to collectively bargain with them then that's a totally different dynamic. And I, I think the correct analogy is minor league sports that might be affiliated with a, a university, but that no longer is that dynamic the same. It is a much different model and one that is unprecedented. The closest precedent that's been set is minor league baseball. And I'll go to a Gwinnett Stripers game from yeah. time to time, but I'm no loyalist. And most fans are loyalists to their universities and their school. And you start messing with that dynamic, and I think that's a road that many, many folks uh, don't want to go down or regret if they do. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the example of women's basketball here really quick. Well, we just saw huge TV ratings for the uh, women's Final Four. Now, some of that was because uh, there are some very popular players happen to be playing this year's women's tournament, but I think it's pretty telling how much more popular women's college basketball is in the WNBA. For people who like women's basketball, they just seem to prefer the college game more so than the WNBA, at least the TV ratings would lead us to believe. And, John, that to me speaks directly to what you're talking about there is, which there is a level of marketability that – college sports have you know the old cliche about the front of the name on the front of the jersey being more valuable than the name on the back that you know a marketable player wearing a college jersey is just more valuable than a marketable player wearing a professional jersey in some respects minor league baseball is a perfect example of that i would say that women's basketball is a stark example of that yeah and, and wnba you're talking about the elite, most elite basketball playing women in the world and um, you know, I think you've seen some bump in their rating over the years collectively, but it, it doesn't hold a candle to what uh, collectively is being done in the NCAA and, and specifically the Final Four. I saw or read an article about that very thing. And, um, you know, we're slightly off topic here, but it does reflect back to school loyalty, number one, and number two, um, the opportunities that are created for, you know, in Georgia, there's over 500 plus, 550, 600 almost student athletes, athletes that are on scholarship that are given an opportunity to be at the University of Georgia and to, to remove one of the main contributors, main sources of resources for that to occur in that you redistribute, let's call it, uh, what's being brought in 
away from the athletic department and towards individuals, uh, that that is a huge uh, unraveling of what the entire system is built on. And I think it's a much bigger step than many people realize when they say, oh, they should just pay players. No, I think you're exactly right. Let, let me get back to G-Day to kind of close out our conversation here, John. Um, outside of quarterback, what else jumped out to you? I'm going to kind of make this as broad uh, as possible here. Uh, you know, you have a very uh, keen eye on, on some of this kind of stuff. What else did you notice about what Georgia put on display on Saturday that you found particularly interesting? Yeah, I think first off, I think we're in good hands offensive line-wise. I am. You watch you know, really four out of the five of that left tackle spot I think is still competitive, but uh, your, your first four out of the five starters are exceptional and, and you know above average as a group, and, and you saw that. I, it also jumped out to me the number of inline tight ends or – uh, close bunch sets that you have at the end of the line where, you know, Georgia has the option to be physical. And I, I think uh, that played itself out in the number of play-action passes that occurred and just the amount of respect that a defense has to have in the run game. So both personnel and scheme-wise, there are some things that say that, you know, Georgia is, is really well-situated. You look at some of the, the younger outside linebackers, uh Damon and Gabe specifically, you know, they had flashes of, man, that their high end, their quick twitch, their athleticism and what they're bringing to the table uh, is really exciting to watch how that develops. John, that's all really, really good stuff. And boy, a fun conversation for us to have in the weeks to come about how Georgia gets all that ready for the 2023 season, which will actually be here before we know it. So we always appreciate your time here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Hope you have a great day and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Likewise, B.A., go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, I want to try to explain, without completely boring everybody, uh, a little bit of what John and I were just kind of talking about there for a moment. Because, so let, you know, let's say somebody like me, a little bit old-fashioned, a little bit of a, tr- a traditionalist, and let, you know, let's say I come out and say, hey, I don't like the fact that uh, you know a player like Bear Alexander can – leverage the transfer portal go get a deal somewhere else and basically just sort of bolt george at the end of spring practice whether he was fitting in well here or not you know a lot of people are gonna say i don't i don't like that part of the college ball system right now and so what the person who's in favor of the current changes coming into the system what they would say in response to that is and this is a fair point i'm trying to sort of i'm trying to reflect the other side of this opinion here for a moment and maybe sometime in the days to come we'll bring on somebody else to the show who just feels differently about this than i do and let them you know argue you know that that side of this just so we can have you know kind of both sides represented here but what that person who's kind of pro change what they would say is okay well if you want to restrict the player's rights like bear alexander if you want to if you want to eliminate this portal chaos if that's important to you and you want to do that then you're going to have to provide some sort of compensation to players for restricting their rights that that it's not legal to say well you know you can't you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this without giving some sort of compensation related to that that's why in professional sports you hear all the time about the cba the collective bargaining agreement and sometimes there's a work stoppage there's a you know in years past there may have been a strike or a holdout or a lockout or whatever else you know, because of the collective bargaining agreement that comes to an end. That's how it is the NFL can say, okay, well, you don't get free agency years until this, and you don't get this until that. 
they negotiate all of that in exchange for certain compensation for players. That is the collective bargaining agreement that's in place there. There is no collective bargaining agreement in place for college football because right now the players aren't employees. So in order to be able to restrict their ability to kind of just bolt for a team anytime they want to, you know, there is a certain legal perspective that says if you want that to be the case and you have to make these guys employees and you have to start paying them a lot more money, not NIL opportunity, but actual money coming from the revenue generated by college football, which primarily is the, the TV part of this. And as I said before, even for people who are kind of by nature traditionalists and by nature protectors of the institution, even a lot of those people are kind of getting beaten down on this. We're like, uh, you know, you hear more coaches saying, I guess we're going to have to do this or let's just go ahead and do this, and get it over with, whatever else, that even people who by their nature might be traditionalists or you know protectors of the institution, even they are getting beaten down to the point, all right, go ahead and make the players employees. But for those people who want to stand on the table and celebrate the players getting a win on this, I'm just telling you, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you assume is going to be all good. There are unintended consequences that go along with everything. And I'll cite a couple of quick examples here and then we'll move on. Do you think in the future, in a future world in which college football players are employees, do you think college teams are going to want 85 employees? No, they are not. The NFL has a 53-man roster. I believe in the future, in a future world in which college football players are viewed as employees, Teams just aren't going to want 85 employees because at the level underneath Georgia, the same people who can't pay for anything now, they can't pay for that either. They won't be able to afford to pay for 85 employees. They just don't have enough, you know, there's just not enough money for them to do it or they're not interested in operating, you know, a budget that large, whatever you want to describe it. But there won't be 85 college football players on rosters in the future, uh, you know, if you want to look ahead to a world in which the players are employees. I believe that to be true because the NFL has far fewer uh, players on its roster than college football does. That ought to be viewed as a, uh, a little bit of a model here. And then beyond that, you know, there are a lot of you who very much value your degree from the University of Georgia. You kind of like the idea that a football player on the Georgia roster is going to the same school that you went to or maybe that you're going to right now. There's a certain kinship you feel with all of that. But in a future in which players are employees, here's what you have to ask yourself a question about. Employees of whom? Employees of what, I guess, maybe is the, 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 the better way to say that. Who employs them? It can't be the University of Georgia, uh, not on the basis of Title IX, because if you do that, then theoretically you'd have to pay you know, other sports the same thing you pay the football players, despite the fact that the other sports don't bring anywhere near the revenue the football team does. And from a sort of P&L standpoint, they don't bring any you know, real profit at all. They cost a lot more than they provide. And so from that standpoint, that in a future world, if players are employees, they can't be employees of the University of Georgia. They'd have to be employees of something else, like the SEC or some sort of entity that's not bound by the same sort of Title IX laws that the University of Georgia would find itself kind of bound to. So in that future world in which the players that play for a school like Georgia are actually employed by some other entity, then are they still even students anymore? Like what would their connection be to the University of Georgia? At that point in time, the idea of wearing the name Georgia is really nothing much more than a licensing deal. And if players could negotiate money for themselves, could they negotiate the idea of not even have to go to school at all? At that standpoint, it kind of becomes more like a minor league sport. And I'm here to tell you this. There is no minor league sport anywhere that's all that successful. 
Uh, minor league baseball contracts year after year after year. What that means is there are fewer teams. Uh, teams go out of business. And uh, you can read a thousand stories out there about minor league baseball players having to fight just for enough money to put food on the table. Like that's not <laughs> – that's not a lucrative world to be in for a lot of players who are playing, you know, minor league baseball. And I'm assuming that, you know, the NBA G League, things like that are pretty much the same way because you never hear a word about it. It is not a thriving TV product. It's not a thriving sport. No one cares about it anywhere at all. And if someone was capable of producing a successful kind of minor league version of football, they'd already be doing it. They'd be competing for college football with the talent that's out there and they'd be running a thriving business. But instead, all these spring football leagues that would theoretically be kind of a precursor to all this usfl xfl you know whatever the ones last year that are two you know years ago that they've kind of folded up none of these leagues ever seem to really be able to get off the ground because there's just not a ton of money in minor league sports so um if you turn college football into a feeder system for the nfl nothing more than just a minor league version of football then you run the risk of college football one day being no more successful than in any of the rest of the minor league sports that are out there that might be a fatalistic viewpoint uh, but it's not in, you know, entirely impossible to imagine a scenario in the future that could one day be true. So all of this may be heading towards that, and there's also a chance that things end up not being quite as bad as I'm describing them here right now. But I think you've got to fully consider all of the various possibilities in place if all of this change starts happening the way that it seems like it's progressing here right now. Be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Now, uh, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean here real quick. I'll remind you that our Dog Nation cruise is next week. I am so excited about that. On board, Independence of the Sea is going to NASA on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. And the same way we're going to be enjoying this next week, so many of you have your own chances to enjoy your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here this summer. So uh, give a great travel agent, Jessica Slater, a call at 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She can get you booked up, whether you want to do, like we're going to do the four-night cruise on Independence of the Seas. Independence also has some three-night options. There are other ships going to have similar itineraries right there to Port Canaveral. You can do Mariner of the Seas there too, kind of Independence's sister ship. And, uh, you know, she's kind of got some of those same itineraries in place there you also got like port, uh, port lauderdale or miami if those ports are more convenient for you really ports all across the country but certainly in the state of florida uh just down the road from us you got you know port canaveral which i love going out of port lauderdale miami you may want one of those seven night sailings on one of the oasis class ships boy that was a lot of fun for me this past february and looking forward of course to january of 2024 in the debut of Icon of the Seas there as well. That is going to be amazing. So uh, make sure you find out more online. Jessica's put a great website together. It's royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com. You can kind of live vicariously through those of us who are going to be a part of our Dog Nation cruise next week, and you can use that as motivation to plan your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here this summer or heading towards the holiday season, uh, fall, winter, not too soon to start thinking about that there as well. All right. Let's roll through here for a moment. Uh, Lane Kiffin, we had you on Friday's show. A little fun at the expense of the lousy, stinking Gators. We never hate that. Lane Kiffin's back doing again there as well. Now, I did not see the Ole Miss spring game. I guess at some point in time, I'll try to watch some of it. But I saw Kiffin on Twitter put this out there. First of all, we got the red team beat the Navy team 53-52. to 52. Uh, That is quite a uh, – um, that's quite a uh, – spring game score there i don't quite know what they did to amass more than 100 points in oxford on saturday but lane kiffin on twitter said uh you know points and then he kind of gave you the gator emoji and the football and the fire emoji you'll you'll remember last friday he was mocking florida for its 10 to 7 spring game which the two quarterbacks only combined for two total touchdowns 
all day long. So Kiffin comes back and trolls Florida. Again, we don't hate that. Kiffin's not necessarily our favorite guy, but if he's trolling Florida, he's at least doing something right. So good job to Lane Kiffin there. Speaking of coaches soon to be in the SEC, Steve Sarkeesian made an interesting announcement on the heels of the Texas spring game on Saturday, acknowledging that Quinn Ewers will be the starting quarterback for Texas. Now, this to me is instructive. First of all, we'd been hearing this a little bit lately that for all the attention Arch Manning had gotten, that Ewers was really pulling away in that Texas quarterback competition. He was going to be the starting quarterback. That is indeed the case. That doesn't change Manning's future. He's still a very bright prospect, of course, but this was going to be Quinn Ewers' job, and it is. And I think Sarkeesian in this particular instance is kind of instructive in that we're led to believe that coaches are going to do whatever they can to kind of keep competitions going, keep them alive, orchestrate them if need be, take them into the season because you want to kind of give mystery about who your starting quarterback is going to be, and you obviously want to keep every you know quarterback in the program believing they have a shot and 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 thinking it could be them as the starter that way they don't transfer that's what we're sort of led to believe is the thing that coaches should do and some coaches seemingly do that however what we've also said from time to time on this show is is that sometimes there is value in the opposite that sometimes if you know who your starting quarterback is going to be acknowledging what you know there is some value in doing that part of that is just based on the fact that players are not stupid they're watching practice each and every day and if they see Quinn Ewers a little older a little bit more experienced if they see him better being better in practice than Arch Manning is then Sarkeesian actually does a disservice to himself in front of his players by pretending something publicly is true when it isn't so from that standpoint you got to be careful about the message you send publicly if it doesn't line up with what your players are seeing privately that puts your credibility on the line and I think that, that Steve Sarkeesian a roundabout way probably knew that But there's also this, and this is what's important, which is when you acknowledge this guy as our starting quarterback, you kind of move out of the competitive phase and more into the development phase. And at a certain point in time, developing an offense around your quarterback is a big part of what every football team you know has to do and so now texas has sort of raised its hand that says we have our starting quarterback it's going to be quinn ewers we're going to start developing this team around him for this year then it provides an invitation for the players themselves to kind of rally around ewers as their leader there is value in naming your starting quarterback if you know who it is even as early as spring practice in a way that some coaches don't always do so i think that's kind of interesting so similarly if you want to kind of bring this back to georgia here for a moment the Georgia competition between uh, Beck and, and Vandergrift may have been a little closer than what it was between Ewers and Manning. Maybe that's the case. But if things were as clear-cut as some of us thought it was on Saturday, and by what it's worth, John Stinchcomb gave a pretty strong articulation of why he thinks that Vandergrift is actually still in this competition. I take John's words pretty seriously on that. But others have seemed to say they thought that the Beck was probably the better of the two there on Saturday. So kind of deciding when Kirby Smart kind of takes time to acknowledge that and says, hey, you know, we're, we're rallying around Carson. You know, we're going to build this team around Carson. We're going to kind of put an offense together around Carson back. You know, beginning that process over the course of the summer, I think, is maybe important. And you know, one of the things that Carson Beck did talk a little bit about on, on Saturday after the game and something that Kirby Smart talked about as well is kind of what that means in the summer. We'll have Jake Fromm on the show tomorrow. We'll talk to him more about that there, too. So you may not get the named starter at Georgia that you seem to get at Texas with Quinn Ewers. But the operation being pretty similar where Carson Beck acts as if he'll be the starting quarterback and maybe Georgia treats him as if he'll do that. Maybe functionally ends up being kind of the same there as well. But interesting to see Steve Sarkeesian at Texas doing what some coaches don't always do. He says, listen, we got, you know, 
potentially two good quarterbacks, Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers. But right now, it's clear who our starting quarterback is going to be. Ewers, probably the guy that a lot of folks around Texas thought it was going to be to begin with. Uh, Sarkeesian acknowledging that. That was pretty interesting. And then finally, I mentioned for a team in Auburn that I think hopes to bring in a lot of transfer players here during this portal window. Interesting to note, they also had kind of a high-profile exit into the portal there as well uh jeffrey is it mumba i think how you say it not to be confused with samuel Mumpemba. this is uh, jeffrey mumba a uh, former big time junior college defensive lineman that came to auburn a year ago has entered the portal here right now so in addition to kind of you know seeing what might happen next with georgia portal staying open to april 30th we'll also be watching for other big names entering the portal from around the rest of the sec there as well including uh, the uh, defensive lineman there from Auburn there too. So we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, one of the other things that happened very interestingly on Saturday was the debut of Georgia's 2022 National Championship rings, obviously acknowledging the back-to-back nature of Georgia as a championship status, or as we say around here, go for two and 22. They accomplished that mission. And our good friend Logan Booker from 960 The Ref put this out on Twitter there as well. One side of the 2022 championship ring also has the score of the Peach Bowl, Georgia beating Ohio State 42-41. to And what you see is the Peach Bowl trophy kind of resting on the clock, striking midnight with the confetti coming down. You'll remember that kind of viral moment from that game in which the Ohio State missed field goal at the very end there came exactly as the clock struck midnight. So that's kind of celebrated here on the side of this championship ring, which I think is really nice. It'll give Ohio State fans one more thing to whine about, which I guess they don't need much of an invitation to do anyway uh but very very cool to see that as a part of the georgia championship rings golden shoe to logan booker for pointing that out and to georgia for creating kind of a cool ring there and by the way lousy stinking gators they haven't had a championship ring since 2008 folks that is a long time ago now and even more bad news is 194 days from now georgia beating up on them again right there in jacksonville you'll have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia